Hi, and welcome to Sleep Tight Relax. Hi there. Welcome to this episode of Sleep Tight Relax, the podcast where we help you prepare to drift calmly off to sleep by listening to the calming sounds of nature, soothing music, and rich sleep stories. Our format is simple. You pick an episode, get comfortable, then I lead you through a short relaxation exercise followed by either music sounds of nature, or a long sleep story. In this episode, Cheryl shares a story called The Talking Fish, a Chinese fable about a man who, when becoming very, very hot, wishes he could become a fish. Before we continue, let's first make sure you have a suitable environment for comfort. When I get ready for sleep, I like to try to ensure that my bedroom is as dark, quiet and cool as possible. Now is the time to position your pillows or your other little comforts to make sure that everything feels as it should. Let's relax. You can do the following in your bed, or if you prefer, you can do it standing or perhaps sitting. First, reach up high above your head, stretching your arms. Stretching your body very tall. Now let's relax. First, reach up high above your head, stretching your arms, stretching your body very tall. Now, let your arms relax. Place them at your sides loosely. Do the same thing again, but this time breathe in as you reach up. Stretch. And now breathe out as you relax and place your arms at your sides. One more stretch, arms up, breathing in and relax, arms down, breathing out. Just lay there now, 
letting your arms rest at your sides. See how your breathing can relax you by taking slow, deep breaths. Breathe in, hold your breath briefly, and now breathe out slowly. Breathe in and out. Keep breathing deeply and slowly. Remember as you breathe to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Take your time. Breathe out tension, breathe in relaxation. Continue your deep breathing for as long as you feel comfortable as we listen to this episode's sleep story. I hope you have a deep and restful sleep. The Talking Fish Long, long before your great-grandfather was born, there lived, in the village of everlasting happiness, two men, called Lee and Sing. Now, these two men were close friends, living together in the same house. Before settling down in the village of everlasting happiness, they had been high officials for more than 20 years. They had often treated the people very harshly so that everybody, old and young, disliked them. And yet, by robbing the wealthy merchants and by cheating the poor, these two horrible companions had become rich. And it was in order to spend the money that they had cheated away, they sought out the village of everlasting happiness. For here, they said, we can surely find that joy which has been denied us in every other place. Here we shall no longer be scorned by men and women. These two men bought for themselves the finest house in the village, furnished it in the most elegant manner, and decorated the walls with scrolls filled with wise sayings and pictures by famous artists. Outside, there were lovely gardens filled with flowers and birds. And oh, ever so many trees with strange twisted branches growing in the shapes of tigers and other wild animals. 
Whenever they felt lonely, Lee and Sing invited rich people from the neighborhood to come and dine with them. And after they had eaten, sometimes they would go out upon the little lake in the center of their land, rowing in a strange flat-bottomed boat that had been built by the village carpenter. One day, on such an occasion, when the sun had been beating down fiercely upon the clean-shaven heads of all those on the little boat, for you must know, this was long before the day when hats were worn, Mr. Lee was suddenly seized with a giddy feeling, which rapidly grew worse and worse until he was in a burning fever. Be sure, the doctor said, looking at Mr. Lee's personal helper, be sure, above all, not to leave him alone, for he is in danger of going crazy at any moment, and I cannot say what might happen if he is not looked after carefully. Now, Although these words of the doctors really made Mr. Lee angry, he was too ill to reply. For all this time, his head had been growing hotter and hotter, until at last a feverish sleep overtook him. No sooner had he closed his eyes than his faithful servant, half starving, rushed out of the room to join his friends at their midday meal. Lee awoke with a start. He had slept only 10 minutes. Water, water, he moaned. Bathe my head with cold water. I am half gone with pain. But there was no reply for the servant was dining happily with his friends. Air, air, groaned Mr. Lee, tugging at the collar of his silk shirt. I'm dying for water. I'm starving for air. This blazing heat, it is hotter than the fire god himself ever dreamed of making it. Wong, Wong, clapping his hands feebly and calling to his servant, Air and water! Air and water! But still, no Wang. At last, with the strength that is said to come from despair, Mr. Lee rose from his couch and staggered towards the doorway. Out he went into the paved courtyard and then, after only a moment's hesitation, made his way across it into a narrow passage that led into the lake garden. He arrived at the bank of a little brook that flowed in through a water gate at one side of the garden and emptied itself into the big fish pond. Flinging himself down by the little stream, Lee bathed his hands and wrists in the cool water. 
How delightful. If only it were deep enough to cover his whole body. How gladly he would throw himself in and enjoy the refreshing embrace. For a long time he lay on the ground, rejoicing at his escape from the doctor's clutches. Then as the fever began to rise again, he sprang up with a determined cry. What am I waiting for? I will do it. There's no one to prevent me and it will do me a world of good. I will cast myself headfirst into the fish pond. It is not deep enough near the shore if I am too weak to swim and I am sure it will restore me to strength and health. He hurried along the little stream, almost running in his eagerness to reach the deeper water of the pond. Hark, was that a servant calling? Had Wang discovered his absence? Would he sound the alarm? And would the whole place soon be alive with men searching for the fever-stricken patient? With one last sigh of satisfaction, Lee flung himself, clothes and all, into the quiet waters of the fish pond. Now Lee had been brought up in a province on the seashore and was a skillful swimmer. He dived and splashed to his heart's content, then floated on the surface. It takes me back to my boyhood, he cried. Why, oh why, is it not the fashion to swim? I'd love to live in the water all the time, and yet some of my countrymen are even more afraid than a cat of getting their feet wet. As for me, I'd give anything to stay here forever. You would, eh? chuckled a hoarse voice just under him, and then there was a sort of wheezing sound, followed by a loud burst of laughter. Mr. Lee jumped as if something had struck him, but when he noticed the fat, ugly monster below, his fear turned into anger. Look here, what do you mean by giving a fellow such a start? Don't you know what people say about such rudeness? The giant fish laughed all the louder. What time do you suppose I have for people? You make me laugh till I cry. But you must answer my question, cried Mr. Lee more and more persistently, forgetting for the moment that he was not tying some poor fellow for a petty crime. Why do you laugh? Speak out at once. Well, since you're such a saucy piece, roared the other, I will tell you. It was because you awkward creatures who call yourselves men, the most highly civilized beings in the world, always think you understand a thing fully when you have only just found out how to do it. Who are you talking about? Interrupted Mr. Lee. We seldom undertake anything new. 
Just hear the man, chuckled the fish. Now, fancy you're wishing to stay in the water forever. What do you know about water? Why, you're not even provided with the proper equipment for swimming. What would you do if you really lived here always? What am I doing now? spluttered Mr. Lee, so angry that he sucked in a mouthful of water before he knew it. Floundering, retorted the other. Don't you see me swimming? Are those big eyes of yours made of glass? Yes, I see you all right, laughed the fish. That's just it. I see you too well. Why you tumble about as awkwardly as a water buffalo wallowing in a mud puddle. Now, as Mr. Lee had always considered himself an expert in water sports, he was by this time speechless with rage. And all he could do was to paddle feebly round and round with strokes just strong enough to keep himself from sinking. Then too, continued the fish, more and more calm as the other lost his temper. You have a very poor arrangement for breathing. If I am not mistaken, at the bottom of this pond, you would find yourself worse off than I should be at the top of a palm tree. What would you do to keep yourself from starving? Do you think it would be convenient if you had to flop yourself out onto land every time you wanted a bite to eat? And yet, being a man, I doubt seriously if you would be content to take the proper food for fish. You have hardly a single feature that would make you content if you were to join an underwater school. Look at your clothes, too. Water-soaked and heavy. Do you think they are suitable to protect you from cold and sickness? Nature forgot to give you any scales. Now, I am going to tell you a joke. So you must be sure to laugh. Fish are like grocery shops. Always judged by their scales. As you haven't a sign of a scale, how will people judge you? See the point? Nature gave you a skin, but forgot the outer covering, except perhaps at the ends of your fingers and your toes. You surely see by this time why I consider your idea ridiculous. Sure enough, in spite of his recent severe attack of fever, Mr. Lee had really cooled completely off. He had never understood before what great disadvantages there were connected with being a man. Then are you indeed content with your lot? He asked finally. Are there not moments when you would prefer to be a man? I, a man, thundered the other, lashing the water with his tail. How dare you suggest such a disgraceful change? Can it be that you do not know my rank? Why, my fellow, you behold in me 
favorite nephew of the king. Then, may it please your lordship, said Mr. Lee softly, I should be exceedingly grateful if you would speak a kind word for me to your master. Do you think it possible that he could change me in some manner into a fish and accept me as a subject? Of course, replied the other. All things are possible to a king. Well, then yes, I would give my fortune to be a follower of your imperial master. Then follow me, laughed the other starting off at a rate that made the water hiss and boil for ten feet around him. Mr. Lee struggled vainly to keep up. If he had thought himself a good swimmer, he now saw his mistake, and every bit of remaining pride was torn to tatters. Please, wait a moment, he cried out politely. I beg of you to remember that I am only a man. Soon they reached a sheltered inlet at the farther side of the pond. There Mr. Lee saw a gigantic carp idly floating about in a shallow pool, and then lazily flirting his huge tail or fluttering his fins proudly from side to side. Attendants darted hither and thither, ready to do their master's slightest bidding. One of them, splendidly attired in royal scarlet, announced, with a downward flip of the head, the approach of the king's nephew, who was leading Mr. Lee to an audience with his majesty. "'Who have you here, my lad?' began the ruler, as his nephew, hesitating for words to explain his strange request, moved his fins nervously backwards and forwards. Strange company, it seems to me, you are keeping these days. Only a poor man, most royal sir, replied the other, who wishes your highness to grant him your gracious favor. When man asks favor of a fish, tis hard to penetrate his wish. He often seeks a lordly dish to serve upon his table, repeated the king, smiling. And yet, nephew, you think this fellow is really peaceful and is not coming among us as a spy? Before his friend could answer, Mr. Lee had cast himself upon his knees in the shallow water. Before the noble carp, and bowed three times until his face was dirty with mud from the bottom of the pool. Indeed, your majesty, I am only a poor mortal who seeks your kindly grace. If you would but consent to receive me into your school of fishes, I would forever be your admirer and your lowly servant. The fellow talks as if in earnest remarked the king after a moment's reflection. And though the request is, perhaps, the strangest to which I have ever listened, I really see no reason why I should not turn a fishly ear. 
but have the goodness first to stop your bowing. You are stirring up enough mud to plaster the royal palace of a shark. Poor Lee, blushing, waited patiently for the answer to his request. Very well, so be it, cried the king impulsively. Your wish is granted, Sir Trout. Bring a fish skin of proper size for this ambitious fellow. No sooner said than done. The fish skin was slipped over Mr. Lee's head, and his whole body was soon tucked snugly away in the scaly coat. Only his arms remained uncovered. In the twinkling of an eye, Lee began to feel something go through every part of his body. His arms and his hands changed little by little until they made an excellent pair of fins, just as good as those of the king himself. As for his legs and feet, they suddenly began to stick together until, wriggle as he would, Lee could not separate them. Aha, thought he, my kicking days are over, for my toes are now turned into a first-class tail. Not so fast, laughed the king as Lee started out to try his new fins. Not so fast, my friend. Before you leave, perhaps I'd better give you a little friendly advice, else your new powers are likely to land you on the hook of some lucky fisherman, and you will find yourself served up as a prize of the pond. I will gladly listen to your advice, for the words of the Most High to his lowly servant are like pearls before sea slugs. However, as I was once a man myself, I think I understand the simple tricks they use to catch us fish, and I am therefore in position to avoid trouble. But don't be so sure about it. A hungry carp often falls into danger as one of our sages so wisely remarked. There are two cautions I would impress upon you. One is never, never, ever eat a dangling worm. No matter how tempting it looks, there are sure to be hooks inside. Secondly, always swim like lightning if you see a net, but in the opposite direction. Now, I will have you served your first meal out of the royal pantry, but after that, you must hunt for yourself like every other self-respecting citizen of the watery world. After Lee had been fed with several slugs, followed by a juicy worm for dessert, and after again thanking the king and the king's nephew for their kindness, he started forth to test his tail and fins. It was no easy matter at first to move them properly. A single flirt of the tail, no more vigorous than those he had been used to giving with his legs, would send him spinning round and round in the water, for all the world like a living top. And when he wriggled his fins ever so slightly as he thought, he found himself sprawling on his back in a most ridiculous fashion. 
It took several hours of constant practice to get the proper stroke. And then he found he could move about more easily. It was the easiest thing he had ever done in his life. And oh, the water was so cool and delightful. Many hours passed by until at last Lee was compelled to admit that, although he was not tired, he was certainly hungry. How to get something to eat? Oh, why had he not asked the friendly nephew a few simple questions? How easily his lordship might have told him the way to get a good breakfast. But alas, without such advice, it would be a whale's task to accomplish it. Here and there he swam into the deep still water and along the muddy shore, down, down to the pebbly bottom, always looking, looking for a tempting worm. He dived into the weeds and rushes, poked his nose among the lily pads, all for nothing. No fly or worm of any kind. Another hour passed slowly away, and all the time his hunger was growing greater and greater. Would the fish god, the mighty dragon, not grant him even one little morsel to satisfy his aching stomach? Especially since, now that he was a fish, he had no way of tightening up his belt. Just as Lee was beginning to think he could not wriggle his tail an instant longer, and that soon, very soon, he would feel himself slipping, slipping, slipping down to the bottom of the pond. At that very moment, looking up, he saw, oh joy, a delicious red worm dangling a few inches above his nose. The sight gave him new strength to his weary fins and tail. Another minute, and he would have had that delicate morsel in his mouth when, wait! He remembered the advice given to him the day before by the great King Carp. No matter how tempting it looks, there are sure to be hooks inside. For an instant, Lee hesitated. The worm floated a little bit nearer to his half-open mouth. How tempting! After all, what was a hook to a fish? Perhaps this worm was an exception to the rule. Or perhaps, perhaps anything. Really, a fish in such a state as Mr. Lee could not be expected to follow advice. Even the advice of a real king. Pop! He had it in his mouth. Oh, what a soft, tasty morsel. Now he could laugh at those words of wisdom and eat whatever came before his eye. But ugh, what was that strange feeling that, ow, it was a hook. With one frantic jerk and a hundred twists and turns, poor Lee sought to pull away from the line that had caught him. It was now too late to wish he had kept away from the worm. 
Better to have starved at the bottom of the cool pond than to be pulled out by some miserable fisherman to the light and sunshine of the busy world. Nearer and nearer he approached the surface. Then, with one final splash, he found himself dangling in mid-air, swinging helplessly at the end of a long line. With a clunk, he fell into a flat-bottomed boat, directly on top of several smaller fish. Ah, oh, a carp! shouted a well-known voice gleefully. The biggest fish I've caught these three moons. What good luck! It was the voice of old Chang, the fisherman, who had been supplying Mr. Lee's table ever since his arrival in the village. Only a word of explanation and he, Lee, would be free once more to swim about where he willed. I say, Chang, he began gasping for breath. Really now, now you must throw me overboard at once for, don't you see? I am Mr. Lee, your old master. Come, hurry up about it. I'll excuse you this time for your mistake for of course you had no way of knowing. Quick, quick. But Chang, looking towards the pile of glistening fish, happy with his catch, was wondering how much money he could demand for it. He had heard nothing of Mr. Lee's remarks, for Chang had been deaf since childhood. Quick, quick, put me back, moaned poor Lee, and then with a groan, he remembered that the fisherman was deaf. By this time, they had arrived at the shore, and Lee, in company with his fellow victims, found himself suddenly thrown into a wicker basket. Oh, that journey on land. Only a tiny bit of water remained in the closely woven thing. It was all he could do to breathe. Joy of joys. At the door of his own house, he saw his good friend Sing just coming out. Hey, Sing! He shouted at the top of his voice. Help, help! Chang has me in here with these fish and doesn't seem to know that I am Lee. Kindly order him to take me to the lake and throw me in, for it's cool there and I like the water life much better than that on land. Lee paused to hear Sing's reply, but there came not a single word. I beg you to have a look at my catch said old Chang to Sing. Here is the finest fish of the season. I have brought him here so that you, Mr. Lee, may have a treat. Carp, it was his favorite delicacy. Very kind of you, my good Chang, I'm sure, but I fear poor Mr. Lee will not eat fish for some time. He has a bad fever. That's where you're wrong! shouted Lee from his basket, flopping about with all his might to attract attention. Can't you recognize your old friend? Help me out of this trouble and you may have all my money for your pains. Hey, what's that? Questioned Singh, attracted as usual by the word money. My goodness, it sounds as if the carp were talking. What? A talking fish? laughed Chang. Why, I have lived almost 60 years, and such a fish has never come under my sight. 
There are talking birds, and talking beasts for that matter, but talking fish? Who ever heard of such a wonder? No, I think your ears must have deceived you, but this carp will surely cause talk when I get him into the kitchen. I'm sure the cook has never seen his like. I hope you will be hungry when you sit down to this fish. What a pity Mr. Lee couldn't help you to eat it. Help to eat myself, huh? Grumbled poor Lee, now feeling weak for lack of water. Old Chang had now gone round the house to the servants' quarters, and after calling out the cook, held up poor Lee by the tail for the chief to inspect. With a mighty jerk, Lee tore himself away and fell at the feet of his faithful cook. Save me, save me, he cried out in despair. This miserable Chang is deaf and doesn't know that I am Mr. Lee. My fish voice is not strong enough for his hearing. Please take me back to the pond and set me free. You shall have a pension for life, wear good clothes, and eat good food all the rest of your days. Only hear me and obey. Listen, my dear cook, listen. The thing seems to be talking, muttered the cook, but such wonders cannot be. And seizing his former master by the tail, he swung him onto the table. Oh no, screamed Lee. And with a cry, Mr. Lee awoke from the deep sleep into which he had fallen. His fever was gone, but he found himself trembling with fear at thought of the things that had come to him in dreamland. Thank goodness I am not a fish, he cried out joyfully, and now I shall be well enough to enjoy the feast to which Mr. Singh has invited guests for tomorrow. But I think I will not eat the carp that Chang has caught. <laughs>